It's bank earnings season, and you know what that means. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I am Matt Kopenheffer. This year's David Hansen. David, back in the saddle. It's been you, a long time. It's been a long time for you, too. I've been listening to the show. You haven't been on in the last I've couple weeks, have you? I've been on vacation. Uh, more importantly, big game yesterday. Were you there to see Super Mario's memorable goal in extra time? Fell asleep. I don't know how much, I don't know if it says something about me, something about soccer, football, you. if you it's will. Gotta be, it's got to be you. I don't know. What are you doing on a Sunday afternoon that you can't, you can't stay awake? Sprawled on the couch. <laughs> Electrifying game. Woke up at 10, World had to fall Cup asleep right final. I know. I saw the replay, though. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I woke up to see Messi crying. Was he crying? No, I didn't admit that. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the news for today, and the news is all around earnings. Why don't you kick us off here, David? Going back to last week, uh, Wells Fargo, they were the first to, to report earnings. We have a headline there from Fool.com, Wells, Ferning, Wells Fargo <laughs> Wells, Ferning, Wells Fargo earnings has the bank's growth peaked. And that's referring to the, I think it was, what, 11 quarters in a row, maybe off, of record earnings. seemed like they couldn't stop making more money. This was the quarter that it finally ended. Earnings per share, uh, $1 and one penny. That was down from the previous quarter. So the record's over, but the results still... Solid from most far, as we expect. Return on assets, 1.47, so almost 1.5%. Mm. That's very, very solid for a bank in, a, in an environment where people are saying, this is not a good earning environment for banks here. So 1.5% return on assets, I think very encouraging. With a company like Wells Fargo, this is all just waiting for interest rates to be a little bit higher so they can make more interest income. That's the biggest lever here. It's 51% of their revenue mm-hmm. is from interest income. So it's just a waiting game here. It's going to happen. They're well positioned. If you're a shareholder of Wells Fargo today, I think you're happy with the quarter and you're happy going forward. Alrighty, Turning to a very different earnings story from this morning, we've got Citigroup. Uh, the headline here, we've got, thanks to $7 billion settlement and business difficulties, Citigroup earnings plummet. That is uh, from our own Patrick Morris. Uh, it's an exciting headline, but I don't think really captures what's going on here, at least yes. if you ask the city bull that's sitting at this table. Stock is up. The stock is up. The stock was up, I, I think, when I checked, about 3.5% mm-hmm. uh, this morning. So I think the stock market's got it right. Okay. Uh, what we see in this quarter is, is progress. This is, this is a, like I said, a very different story. Uh, still rebuilding after the financial crisis. Uh, the, the settlement is a big piece of that. We don't think of Citigroup as having the same kind of legal difficulties and same kind of huge settlements as everybody else. Still a big bank, though. Still had a lot of that um, bad mortgage stuff going mm-hmm. on. And, and this settlement puts a lot of that behind Citigroup, but also shaves off a fresh $7 billion. Yeah. It's, it was actually, I think it was more like a three point. $3.8 billion charge for this quarter. Yeah. For, for this quarter. Uh, most of that not tax deductible. So it was a $3.7, $3.8 billion pre tax charge, $3.7 billion post tax. Uh, another kind of wonky thing that, that we've been following with Citigroup is the deferred tax asset. All of those big losses that Citigroup took during the financial crisis became deferred tax assets. Basically, what that means is that they can offset earnings uh, that they're recognizing now uh, against these deferred tax assets and get the cash rather than having to pay that cash to Uncle Sam, continuing to use those deferred tax assets. And that's great news for investors going Mm -hmm. forward because you're taking what's basically a non-earning asset that they still have to hold capital against 
and you're turning it into cash, which they, then Citigroup can either return to shareholders or turn into an earning asset. Did you write down how much of that they released? Because it was what it's over fifty billion, I right. believe, in Dur- deferred tax assets. How during much the quarter, I believe was I, I, I don't I didn't catch how much is left, but during the quarter they used about one point one billion, if I'm okay. remembering that correctly, and that was more than was expected that they'd be able to use during a quarter. So that's good news. Uh, tangible book value up seven percent uh, year over year, which when you think about again, we're in a tough banking environment. I don't think and that's, that's even fair. with the big settlement here. Right. Okay. So and this settlement, this settlement is related to mortgage-backed securities, a similar settlement to what we saw with J.P. Morgan right. six or eight months ago. And the, who the will be settlement. expecting? Will be expecting something similar from Bank of America. Third, third headline. Third headline: Bank of America reports earnings. On Wednesday, the headline is four things to watch in Bank of America's earnings report. We don't have to cover four. That's just the headline there from Matt Frankel, one of our contributors there. The settlement still looming, some estimating close to $20 billion maybe. I don't know if that's going to be the figure there. Uh, I'm, I, saw, I saw $12 billion. I saw $12 billion, which I, I guess depending where you news, look, the yeah. range is going to be huge. Citigroup, the, the settlement with Citigroup, however, was less than kind of what was initially thrown out there, so... Mm-hmm. Maybe you could read into it that Bank of America may not have to pay that high end that some people are estimating there, but still likely to see something, maybe not in the earnings report, but soon with Bank of America. Is there anything related to the quarter that you're particularly interested in? Not really. It's kind of the same with Citigroup, that what I want to see is just continued progress. And with Bank of America, a lot of what that's around is the the, the simplifying of the business, the taking cost out of the business, because I think one of the, the biggest levers for Bank of America to pull at this point, since it's a tough banking environment, is really getting cost out of the system. The efficiency ratio of Bank of America is, is terrible. Mm-hmm. And so even if they can't really push the gas pedal too much on the top line right now, at least they can continue to rationalize some of the costs and, and pull that out. And they've been doing a, the bank's been mm-hmm. doing a good job with that. So we just want to see a continuation. And I think with all three of these, really, in Bank of America and Citigroup in particular, it's not really, they're not really stories that are going to change drastically yep. from quarter to quarter. It's like maybe really check in at the annual report, and what you want to look out for is drastic um, strategy changes or non-performance on these big goals of taking out costs, of, of u- using the deferred tax assets, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's so hard to look at it because we want to see the they have so much cost in there, just take it out. But again, it, it just takes Happy so much slowly, time, and yeah. it's going to be a two-year thing, which sounds crazy, but those incremental improvements will add up. It's basically like if you looked at, okay, if something goes down 2% every quarter. That doesn't sound like anything, right? But over two years... Then you wake up all of a sudden. That's very substantial. So it's, it's hard to remove yourself from that, but you have to kind of look at it in a trended way rather than just be like, oh, expenses were flat this quarter. That means they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. You have to zoom back and say, where does this stand from a year ago? Because it is slowly coming out. Yep. Let's move on to the focus for today. Uh, the focus for today, I just finished reading a book I probably should have read a long time ago but hadn't run across it called uh, The Davis Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is about the basically the three generations of Davises who now run... Davis Selected Advisors, mm-hmm. uh, which is a family of, of funds, um, a few of them uh, very focused on, and in particular the fund that Chris Davis runs, focused on financial companies. Mm-hmm. Over uh, $100 billion 
in assets. Yeah, so take something like that. It's not small. Not small. <laughs> not small. And very successful over time. I mean, not not successful in like the get rich quick kind of way. They get successful in a. It's a dynasty. It is well. <laughs> it is a dynasty. So, so anyway, th- there are a few lessons that came out of this book that I that I really wanted to share. Um, I've kind of I've got them jotted down here in no specific order, but um, figured I'd run through them and. If, if any of them caught your caught your fancy, oh, they will. Could, oh, they will. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm ready to get fancy. I, I think that the first and these the first two and these are kind of tied together um, was that Shelby Colum Davis, who most of this is the patriarch, the uber patriarch. I don't know, the grandfather yeah. of Chris Davis, <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the book was focused on Shelby Colum Davis, not to be confused with Shelby Davis, who is Shelby Colum Davis's son. Uh, Twice removed. He had a very wide-ranging portfolio at the time that he died. He had thousands and thousands of stocks in there. But that's not where he created most of his wealth. Most of his wealth over the, the years that he was investing is in a concentrated, relatively small portfolio. And it was a portfolio of basically all insurers. He, he was very focused on the insurance industry, knew a whole lot about the insurance industry, and invested in these insurers that, that grew reasonably over years and mm-hmm. compounded over time. And um, some of them we, you wouldn't really know about as much anymore, but some of them you would, like AIG was one of them. Geico was mm-hmm. one of them. Um, and he passed away in early 90s? Is that kind of the time frame? I think it was 94. I think, I think that's about right. So just to give, he wasn't holding AIG after. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but died with about, I think, eight, between $800 million and a $1 billion in that range. And his initial investment, now obviously he added to this over time, but I think his initial investment uh, portfolio was about $50,000. Um, so, so, so what we have here is a concentrated portfolio. We've talked about this a, a little bit on the show in the past. Um, also, the idea of concentrating on an area that you're familiar with and really understand, for him it was insurers. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of getting this idea that if you're investing in individual companies that, oh, I've got to buy a tech company or I've got to buy a utility because I don't have any of those in my portfolio, to me it doesn't always make sense that if you understand an industry, when it comes to buying individual stocks at least, going outside of that to say, I feel like I should own this other industry for diversification purposes, to me, it doesn't work. And when you say the word understand, I think that's the, the crucial element. It's like, do you really understand it, or do you just kind of get it? You're like, <laughs> I, under- I understand what's happening over there. Right. That doesn't mean you understand it and have a competitive, competitive advantage over other people looking at the space. That's, I think, the crucial mm-hmm. thing to look at, because if you don't really understand it, then you do make the case for having multiple sectors and being diversified there. So I think that's kind of the maybe hard question you have to ask yourself, right? Right. And, and I, to me, that doesn't mean if you want to invest in a semiconductor company, for example, that you need to understand how to design and fabricate a semiconductor yourself. Mm-hmm. But you need to understand what are the elements that make a semiconductor company successful. Um, the same as if you want to invest in insurer. You need to know the ingredients that make an insurer successful. So when you hear the management team, for instance, talk about what their strategy is, talk about what their vision is for the company, you can assess whether that's reasonable, whether, whether, that, whether you agree with that's something that's going to create success over time. So those, those were a couple things uh, that I picked up. Another thing that Shelby Calm Davis did that a lot of people weren't doing at the time when he, his key time of investing was looking abroad. Mm. He 
at his time, he was investing a lot in Japanese insurers. Um, but just in general, at the time, a lot of investors weren't looking abroad for investment opportunities. I still think, I think that's less of an issue today, but I, I still don't think, particularly in the U.S., that a lot of people look outside of the U.S. for investment opportunities. Over the past couple of years, few years, maybe that wasn't as big of a deal. But, you know, the market isn't as attractive as it was. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I think there are parts of it that are still attractive. But I don't think it hurts to look outside of the U.S., look towards uh, markets where a lot of investors aren't looking and where you may be able to find a boring, sleepy, say, insurer mm-hmm. that has a better valuation than you can find in the U.S. or some other big markets. I think that's 100% accurate. I, don't, I know I don't look abroad okay. enough. Maybe you do, since you're an international man of mystery international now. International man. Uh, as evidenced by the bow tie. But it, it certainly is the opportunity, and I wonder if in 50 years we look back and say, I can't believe people didn't look abroad more. Maybe we get to a point where information is e- more easy to digest and find those companies. Well, I, I think, think it's think possible. There's always going to be a home bias. Yeah, for sure. But I wonder if it'll be like, wow, people had no exposure to international companies mm-hmm. 50 years ago. I hope that's the case, because I agree. I think there are a lot of opportunities out there. It's just a matter of finding them. It's harder. Yeah, that's why people don't do it, right? Yeah, and it's and it's I mean it's it's harder in some cases because the the statements may not be in your language. That, that would help. Certainly <laughs> makes it harder, um, and you may not understand the accounting standards and the the, yep. the legal structure of the of the country. So those are things that that are legitimate hurdles. So last thing I'll point out here: long term ownership. I, I won't say neglectful long term ownership, but almost to that point. Mm-hmm. I mean. The companies that created most of the wealth for Shelby Colum Davis, he didn't own for years. He owned for decades. And so when we talk about the idea of long-term ownership, I mean, this is a guy who really put that into practice and really showed what can happen when you own good companies over very long periods of time. And he had, his, he had some flameouts, mm-hmm. even within the insurance industry, that he understood so well. But the companies that performed over that time period created an immense amount of wealth for him. I guess the question is, though, how do you know if you have one of those long-term winners? It's how, how, much, how much do you set it and forget it? How much do you, you don't. try to assess? You don't, but the extent to which a good company can create wealth for you over a 30-year time period will outweigh. So, so if you put the same amount of money into two companies and one is going to, one is going to have that compounding effect over 30 years and one is going to completely flame out, do tremendously stupid things and land you with a zero, the one that's created wealth over 30 years is going to so far outweigh that. So playing that guessing game, I mean, obviously you're doing your work up front mm-hmm. and saying, I believe both of these are good companies. Yeah. that are good. Um, Playing that guessing game of, well, maybe I should pull my money out of this one now. Maybe that's, maybe that's not a game you want to play. Uh, unless, unless you're watching them and you say, this management team has changed the strategy. This, they're no longer practicing the, in the insurance industry the good underwriting standards that I think are necessary, that sort of thing. I Otherwise, it, you just let them run. I, it's, it's, it's so hard, though. It sounds easy in theory, but it's so hard. If we're, if we're always looking at valuation of a company and say, does this valuation make sense? Mm-hmm. And whether you're buying a company today or you have held it for a year, you should still be considering what's the valuation of that company. Is it sure. still attractive to hold or should I sell it? We know 
there's going to be cycles where that time where the valuation looks stretched, right? And there may be times where it looks cheaper. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is when the valuation looks stretched, how do you know to sell or not? I guess that's the question. There's not an answer. No, th- there's not. To me, that's that is an argument for having not so much of a hair trigger on where your valuation range mm-hmm. lies. So having having the ability to say within a twenty percent span, maybe I'm not going to sell, even if it looks a little overvalued. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe there is maybe there is a, an argument for saying if something gets forty percent looks forty percent overvalued, you sell and wait for it to come back down. Mm-hmm. But then when you're talking about these twenty thirty year time spans, then you're talking about uh, what kind of capital gains you're going to be paying if that's in a tax taxable account, mm-hmm. and then you've got to, and then you've got to take that into account too. So mm-hmm. holding it even if it's overvalued can make more sense than selling it, taking the capital gains hit, and then trying to buy back into it later. Got to account for those taxes. Davis Dynasty, highly highly recommended for anybody anybody really inve- interested in investing in general, but particularly for those viewers of WTMI, the classic viewers. Who wrote it, or how is it written? Oh. Is it written in kind of a just storytelling, or is there a narrative? It's around like it? a biography kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Bio- biopic? Did I say biopic? Bioepic? Is, is, is that for is that for a, a TV movie. show? Biopic? I think that's HBO a video special, thing. The Davis Dynasty. That'd be I'd probably fall asleep <laughs> during that one too. You'd stay awake during that. You'd fall asleep during, during the World Cup. During the World Cup final. Yeah. Oh, jeez. All right. Uh, do we have our game next? Mailbag. Mailbag. We have an email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. There it is, right on the screen. The mail has been slowly trickling in. We need more mail. Send it to us. Yeah. Send it to the other sectors, too. HC at fool.com. CG at fool.com. I, by, the way, by the way, for those who are tuning in today that haven't tuned in to those other shows, I've been listening to those. They're doing such a great job. I, I'm so happy that we changed to this. I mean, I love being on this. I know you love being mm-hmm. on this. But I'm so glad that we're able to bring those other sectors to the WTMI uh, listeners and viewers because uh, those guys are killing it. Never knew I'd know about orphan drugs. Yeah. Now I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, there we go. Can't wait to hear the next update on AbbVie and Shire coming from the healthcare guys. Boom. All right. Uh, the, the mail for today, we've got an email from Francois. Francois says, I liked Matt's pitch on SB, SVB Financial, but while listening, I kept on wondering why I've never heard you talk about Bank of the Ozarks. I've been looking into this great operator for a couple of months now, hoping it would keep on falling. Great return on assets, disciplined investments, and a long-term shareholder CEO, to name a few. Thanks for the email, Francois. But I have a correction yeah. to that email. We have talked about Bank of the Ozarks here, and we've talked about Bank of the Ozarks in gushing terms. I've also written an article for Fool.com looking at Bank of the Ozarks as one of the great examples of how to run a bank over time to create wealth for both the bank and the shareholders. Looking at Bank of the Ozarks today, though, is it falling? He says, "I hope it keeps falling." I actually, did. I, I didn't. I'm not sure. I, I, I never know. look at stock, uh, stock charts anymore. Yeah. I probably. Well, maybe maybe I'm asking more. So the valuation. I know the valuation. I did rich. look at the valuation, and that is. I mean, that's really the one thing that I have to say right now. I, Gleason, the CEO, still great CEO. I, I would trust that guy um, as the steward of my capital. Mm-hmm. The numbers still look good there from the from the perspective of return on assets, that sort of thing. But 3.8 times tangible book value, it's just really hard to expect an attractive return on an investment today paying that kind of multiple. Um, 
it's, I, I think it's a bank to keep on the radar. If something happens, if there's a, a short-term catalyst that sends the stock falling or if the market falls at some mm-hmm. point, that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of bank that you want on your radar to say, everybody thinks the sky is falling. The sky is not falling. I'm going to buy this bank. Yeah. But right now, I, just, I have trouble pay, paying that for it. I mean, comparing it even to Bank of the Internet, which is smaller by almost a third, not quite, by like two and a half times than uh, Bank of Ozarks. Growing very fast, um, 3.1 times tangible book value. Still expensive, but not yeah. even ex- as expensive as uh, Bank of And Bank of the Ozarks is expanding in, into some new areas. I mean, they're taking... Is that slow state? I mean, there's some risk to that, too, though. Yeah, I mean, they're I go- entering new markets and... But they have been all along. That's been sure. there. It's been like this slow, steady pace of just growing, growing, growing. And just like we were just talking about with Davis Dynasty, that's the kind of thing. Is, is, it's like... That's the kind of company that creates tremendous wealth over time, I think. Their branches look pretty good, though. I, I drove past one. Did you really? Yeah. I've never seen a Bank of the Ozarks. It's got, like, branch. a nice cardinal on it. Where was that? It was down in North Carolina. Okay. Cool. I, I tried to stop and take a picture for you because I was like, Matt's going to want that. I, I would want that. It was dark out, though. Next time. Flash. Flash photography. iPhone. Not, not good in the dark. All right. On to the game for today. We have a little bit of fool in the blank today. And, David, why don't you go ahead and hit us with the first fool in the blank? Annaly Capital Management and American Capital Agency are now blank that the Fed's full taper is announced. The taper is ending in October-ish. Let me just perhaps. point out that I haven't seen these ahead of time. So these, this is all right yeah. off the top of my head. That's what we always do, though. Are they... You create them. What are they? I'm going to say relieved. I'm going to say relieved because this, what they've been lacking is maybe transparency, predictability, and what was going to happen. So now that at least that's off the table, um, they'll have that. I mean, the, the Fed just manipulates that, mm-hmm. that market. That's, that's how this goes, right? Yeah. Isn't that sort of the thing? So this won't make it s- totally smooth sailing, but at least they have that amount of transparency now. I'm going to say relief, too. Oh, relieved, you my answer. Relieved you parent- created the question. You had all this time to come up Relieved with. parentheses for now. That's, that's my answer. You're adding that's, I got the that's value added in there. For these companies, what they want is a slow and steady increase in medium to long term rates. Mm-hmm. They do not want a sudden jump up like we saw last year, last summer, which makes their hedges very ineffective. Their book value falls very quickly. But a nice, slow, steady increase right. in rates is exactly what they need. More interest income coming in the door from these securities that they're buying. They can keep those dividends where they are, which have been kind low of low volatility nice. is nice. Low volatility, and hopefully with the Fed, I mean the Fed doesn't get as much press as it was before they were tapering. Now that they are tapering, it's nobody been, cares. Been fine, and we've actually seen commercial banks buy more of the securities that the Fed has been stepping out of. So there are natural buyers that come into the space. So hopefully that continues. You're an owner of Annaly. Does this change your math on owning that? This was kind of the thesis all along that the taper wouldn't be the end of the world. So. All right. We'll see if it is. All right. Second scenario or second fool in the blank. Blank is the reason Matt is crushing David 7 to negative 27 in the TMF stock draft 13. David, fool in that blank. (sighs) JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs just holding my team back, losing to the market substantially, both losing by around 10 percentage points since since we started. S&P up 19% since we conducted the TMF's inaugural stock draft in August 2013. So a very tough comp there for these, for these banks that have been held back by some 
their capital markets businesses aren't great. Some settlements for J.P. Morgan. So that's my that's my excuse. Do you have a positive excuse why you're killing me? Great stock picking. Great stock picking is. I think your reason. biggest winner has been. Was it Discover? I think it has been. Yes. Capital One also a, a nice boost yeah. for you. I, to be fair, the biggest drags on your performance. I don't hate them, um, and I I own both myself. So, um, yeah. I'm not sure who's winning. I think Billy Kipperstock still may be winning. Still may be edging me. Maybe he's got a he's got a bad. The, loose. Portfolio, the portfolio overall. Has yeah, we're not doing great. We're around thirty. We're beating thirty three percent of other caps users. So we're in the top. 66. But to be fair, it hasn't. If you if you compare financial focused ETFs or something like that against the S&P over that time frame, it hasn't been a great time to own financial companies in general. Still very early. We're almost at a year, actually. Now right. Very so we need to be preparing for the second inaugural TMF stock, stock draft. So stay tuned for that. I will. Do you have a third? Yep. All right. I am blank interested in German stocks than I was one month ago. This is for you. Uh, can I say... The same interested. I am the same Equally interested. Equally as. Thank you. <laughs> Equally as. That's what makes you such a good editor. Yes. You're really good at the editing thing. I'm equally interested. There is not a huge equity ownership culture in Germany the way there is here. And one of the beautiful things about that is that I think that there is more opportunity to find undervalued companies, undervalued stocks in Germany than here in the U.S., particularly right now. So, um, I'm continuing to do some work on the German market, figure out what my favorite opportunities are. There's a lot to get familiar with because there's some companies at the top, Siemens, for instance, um, Volkswagen, Mm -hmm. that we're all familiar with. Um, But a lot of the smaller companies, the mid-sized companies that maybe present some of the the bigger opportunities, we don't know as well. Nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. All right. Let's tweet it. How about you? I don't know. You don't know. You don't care. No. All right, let's finish off on the Twitter sphere. David, what is our first tweet? Our first tweet. Do we have a first tweet? Yes. Of course we do. This is from Mike Konzal. Is that how you say it? I'm not actually sure. At? Rody Bomb. Rody Bomb. <laughs> Great meltdown segment on CNBC. Every bit, of adv- quote, Every bit of advice you gave would have lost people money, Rick Santelli. Wow, this is uh, Rick Santelli, of course, very animated on CNBC, coming from the floor in Chicago. Is that right? And he's been pounding the table for five or so years that inflation's going to skyrocket, interest rates going to jump, the dollar's going to go to nothing. And CNBC, his, his fellow friends, called him out here and said, terrible advice. Surprised? Not, not, too, not too much, because I, I think right now, if you think about the business perspective, for CNBC, people are starting to get a little bit more bullish now, so there's not as much re, uh, uh, receptivity mm-hmm. for that kind of everything's going to pot kind of message. But at the same time, they're right. It's like 2009 he was saying this. He's been saying this all along. And at some point, you've just got to come to the, to the realization, oh, I was wrong about this. Yeah. It's not working out that way. Five years is a very long time to be wrong, necessarily. I mean, if you were, say you had a zero return because you were scared yeah, of doing we, anything for, 10 year, or for five years, and this, the market's up 150%, even if it falls 50%, which is We talk drastic, about the long I mean, term here. We talk about the long term here, and maybe he's got an argument that long term is 10 years, but still, five years is a pretty decent amount of time. We'll, we'll tack the clip on at the end of the episode if people want to stick around and hear the rant uh, or the exchange back and forth, but heated. Heated. Second tweet. 
Uh, this one comes from Insurance Journal. Insurers in, uh, in dash for expertise to master cyber risk insurance. Uh, why, why do you follow Insurance Journal? Why wouldn't I follow Insurance Journal? Gosh. I love it. I love the insurance business. I think the insurance I know, but to follow it on, okay, continue. On Twitter. The insurance. cyber risk insurance. Cyber risk insurance. So all of these companies that, that get breached, that are paying out billions, that are losing billions because uh, customers' data is getting stolen, this is, the kind, this is exactly the kind of new and innovative thing that an insurer can create a product around. The question is, is do they have the expertise and how quickly can they build the expertise to be able to know how to price their product? Because that's what it's all about in insurance. Um, so that'll be an interesting market, an interesting sub-market of insurance. It's very small right now compared to the overall insurance market. Mm-hmm. But if there are some carriers that can get that expertise and write good product, uh, price it right, um, that could be interesting to watch over the next few years. Interesting. Third tweet? Third tweet. This is from Jennifer Ablon. She says, Germany shirt sells out less than 12 hours after World Cup win. Did you buy one? I, I didn't. I was, I was actually reading an article on uh, Handelsblatt in, in Germany about this uh, earlier today, and it's all about a star. They added a star, they right? They added a star. There were three stars on the shirt before for the, um, for the three World Cup wins. Add the star on there. It's a whole new ball game. Mm-hmm. And this is huge for Adidas. Uh, I'll punt on this to the consumer goods guys. Maybe they'll be able to tackle this when they come on. But, um, but Adidas, that's the German pronunciation, Adidas... <laughs> Now or the snooty, <laughs> or the snooty pronunciation. Either it's, one. It's a German company. Come Come on. On. <laughs> it's a German company. Okay, continue. Adds this fourth star, and everybody, every Germany fan, has got to have this, this shirt with four stars. Could I mean it could move the needle for Adidas? Mm. Interesting. If only the U.S. would have won. Have fifty stars, even better than four. Next tweet. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. Final tweet. This is Tom White. Tweeting, chilling with my homies. We've got the picture here. Look at that. For those of you listening, you got to go it search is an this picture. Omaha youngster with Paul McCartney and Warren Buffett chilling in on the a background. park bench in the background. Acting like they weren't even talking to each other. Yep. Warren Buffett. Just hanging out. Two feet of space. Paul McCartney just chilling. If you took a selfie with any two celebrities in the background, who would they be? Oh, man. Those are two pretty good ones. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Paul McCartney fan, but... Okay. I don't know. Can you give me someone else? Who would you do? I'm going to stick with Warren Buffett, but I'm swapping. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of, of Paul McCartney, so I'm swapping in Super Mario Goetze. There you go. I loved in the picture, you can tell, too, Warren's wearing suspenders. Is he really? Yeah, you can, can barely that, tell. Are we able to get that picture back up there? You can't really tell in this one, but if you look in the high-def one. Suspenders. He's that... got, I think we were on that street, too, by the way, in Omaha. That looks like where we had dinner that one night. Just saying, could have been us. Could have been us. Also means I, I should probably get suspenders. I've been thinking that a while, that the bow tie would look nice. suspenders. It would, wouldn't it? Also got my announcement for Fool.com. We're hiring on Fool.com. Oh, I wanted to right. announce it to the, the audience here for calling it a development program, mm-hmm. although it's a full-time employee position. Uh, you can find out more about it. Go to culture.fool.com. Again, that's culture.fool.com. Hiring five positions <sighs> on fool.com. So a lot of that's opportunity incredible. if you've ever wanted to work for the fool. Who, who, has, who doesn't want to work for the fool? Exactly. So check it out. All, All right. right. Five positions, culture.fool.com. Yep. You'll see it on the job board there. All right. Well, that's our show for today. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. As David said, Stick around if you want to hear that epic CNBC clip. 
until then, we'll see you next time. The, the jury's still out as to whether the Fed is going to maneuver itself out of this. Out. Yes, it no, is. No, no, no. There is no jury out. Who's the jury? Who are you talking about specifically? Well, I'm the judge. I'm talking Academia, to the jury that's here. Professors? That you wouldn't let valet park your car? Hey, Rick, you already decided this wasn't going to work five years ago. Is some of your and anger, right. is some of your anger about right. confirmation bias? You were right, Rick. What were you right, right on? Rick, it's Hasta impossible. Rick, it's you impossible. already decided this would Rick, work. it's impossible for you to have been more wrong, Rick. You, your call for inflation, the destruction of the dollar, the failure of the U.S. You know economy what? to I'll rebound. Rick, it's impossible for you to have been more wrong. Every single, every single no bit of advice you gave would have lost people money, Rick. Lost say, people money, Rick. Every single bit of advice. Strategy. There is no piece of advice that you've given that's worked, Rick. They need a better strategy than the Cubs. Wait well, till next year isn't the way to there go. There is no piece of advice that you've given that's worked, Rick. Not a single one. Oh, yeah, there is. Paul Richards, I'll give Not a single one, Rick. Can do her job or his job. Not a single one. On the, the higher interest rates never came. The inability of the U.S. to, to sell bonds never happened. The dollar Macro never crashed, Rick. There isn't a single one that's worked for you. Paul Richards, I'll give you.